Gluten is a buzzword in food these days. There are some legitimate reasons to avoid it, particularly if you have celiac disease, but some folks have autoimmune issues or prefer no gluten. Whatever the reason to avoid it, the question then is, how do you get baked goods that don't taste and feel like cardboard? Going without a slice of cake or without a cookie seems almost cruel and unusual punishment. There has to be a way. There is. And if you're avoiding gluten and on keto, then do I have the show for you. The Culinary Libertarian Podcast, episode 96. Welcome to the Culinary Libertarian Podcast, where the philosophy is free, but the food is on you. Hello, folks. Stan Reed here, the Culinary Libertarian Welcome back to the podcast. Happy to have you here. Happy to be here. Head over to my podcast page, culinarylibertarian.com slash podcasts, to find all the previous shows, show notes pages. On the podcasts page, you'll find the various social media icons where you can follow the Culinary Libertarian, as well as join the Eating Liberty Facebook group. From that podcasts page, click the support hyperlink, to find all the links for the various podcatchers hosting the Culinary Libertarian Podcast, as well as some ways you can help keep the lights on, so to speak. You can also support the show by becoming subscribing members to Tom Woods' Liberty Classroom or Brian McClanahan's McClanahan Academy. Both courses offer... Listen, I've had some seriously misinformed chats on social media about the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. What passes for education in high school and college is a crime. Debunk the idiots with content from these courses and you'll be king of your feeds. With the election coming up, being armed to bite back is your best defense. Click the banners on the support page. While you are smashing the dolts, Make a fine tart or tort for dessert in your kitchen with your hands following Tico's excellent video tutorials. Lastly, leave a rating and review of the show on your favorite podcatcher. Those easy actions let more people find the show and that grows the audience. My guest today is Tammy Clegg. Tammy is the co-owner of the Keto Couples Kitchen, which she owns and operates with her husband. I've asked Tammy on to talk about gluten-free baking. Tammy ups the ante on gluten-free baking by also making her baked goods keto-friendly. If this is unfamiliar to you, Tammy will explain it. Tammy, welcome to the Culinary Libertarian Podcast. Thank you for joining me today. Hey. So before we get into the meat of our conversation... Let's have a little bit of a background about you and how you got into keto and then how you got into gluten-free baking. Okay, so about seven years ago, um, my husband, Jimmy Clegg, he got diagnosed with Crohn's disease. He was um, close to 500 pounds, even though he's six foot five, he's still a very big guy. And um, the doctor told him, if you don't do something, you won't live to be 50. So that's when we started doing a whole lot of research and came across the ketogenic diet, and we just went from there. And then it came to, you know, gluten being inflammatory, and so then we just started looking into that, and here I am today, seven years into cooking this way. Hmm. All right. Let's start with some basics that maybe probably people know, but then there's other things that they may not know. So first, what is gluten? I really don't, um, I've really not researched other than it's just, you know, wheat-based products that causes a whole lot of um, inflammatory issues and um we didn't start out just trying to be gluten-free. We're more keto and just found out that, hey, eating keto actually is eating gluten-free for the majority part. 
And the, so when you, you mentioned inflammation, and I think sometimes when people have inflammation, they may, they may not know that it's actually inflammation. They may know, gosh, I just, I kind of don't feel well today. Uh, I think sometimes if you get punched in the eye and you get a big black eye, that's obviously inflammation. And I think maybe there's a misunderstanding about what exactly it is. So can you give some insight into what, and I know it's kind of, there's probably too many ways to explain all of them, but for people who are eating gluten and saying, boy, I really love the taste of this bread, but when I eat this sandwich, I kind of feel yucky afterward. And maybe a lot of us think that's we ate too much, we feel tired, maybe that's a whole other thing. But what might somebody recognize by hearing it as inflammation? So inflammation is, a, like you said, is like a lot of different ways. But one of the things is, is your gut and your intestines. Um, a lot of people don't understand, but they'll actually get inflamed and swell. So then that's where you get a lot of your bloating from. And then just like your joints, um, my shoulders will hurt if I eat like a lot of gluten. My joints my elbow like any injury that I've ever had will automatically like start hurting from just swelling um ankles Jimmy's ankles will swell and all of that is just typical it's the things that you can see but you don't see what your what's happening to your blood vessels because if you're getting if you're getting noticeably swelling in your joints or pain then you got to think about well what is this doing to the rest of my body that i can't see right and the other thing i think that would be happening to people and and i'm not even sure if if you can feel this maybe this is a thing you sort of know because you have a general malaise but it isn't pinpointable is and and jimmy and i have talked about it uh is the relationship to human body health and the gut biome and is is gluten having an impact in the gut with the i don't even know what the right words are the biomeness which is i'm inventing words but is does gluten have an impact in how the digestion works for people obviously for celiac people that's plain but for the folks who are just minorly sensitive or the hashimoto's folks uh, if you know the end, that's kind of specific knowledge, but is there something happening in the gut that's causing us to be unwell? I, I totally believe that um, gluten, like I'm no expert at it, but I believe that gluten definitely has a, a effect um, with a lot of people. I personally was diagnosed with IBS years ago and was drinking a lot of nasty stuff just to keep it under control. But being on the ketogenic diet and cutting out gluten, I don't have near the issues. I have a flare up every now and then, but that's usually if we took a cheat meal, which included gluten and carbohydrates. Uh, I've mentioned to Jimmy before, and I've told the listeners that I have started gluten-free baking out of necessity. My wife was diagnosed with Hashimoto's, and you know, as as a professional baker doing <laughs> all gluten all the time, this has been quite a shift. And all of my familiarity with procedures and ingredients and processes isn't useless. But there's a world of difference between the predictability of bread flour from King Arthur and even the other brands for the most part, bakers for the most part, there's this reliability. So if you go to gold metal or something else, you can pretty much expect your recipe is going to work. Well, that's not the case and so far in my very limited experience with the various flours available in gluten-free baking. So the first thing, I, well, next to first thing is 
what are we using? What are the things that are being used to replace wheat in gluten-free baking? Well, I know um, I'm a little bit different than just gluten-free. There's a I know that there's different flours and stuff that people that aren't doing keto or low carb can use. But the flours that I use is almond flour and coconut flour, and it is definitely trial and error because um, coconut flour will absorb every bit of moisture that you put in anything, and then you end up with this crumble mess and lots of dump in the trash <laughs> recipes. But um, over the time, you just you just look at your recipe and if it tells you to do something, do it. I try to take a lot of shortcuts and ended up that that wasn't the best thing to do. But my go-tos are almond flour and coconut flour, mainly almond flour. So the reason I'm guessing, and I think I might be right, the reason you're choosing nut flours over, say, rice or potato flour is while it all of those things, the rice and potato are also gluten-free, they happen not to be particularly friendly to the keto side of your diet. So that, as far as minimizing carbs, going with a high-fat nut, coconuts and almonds, is your preferred choice for fulfilling your keto needs. Yes, that's correct. I haven't, I haven't cooked with any of those other um, gluten-free flours I haven't tried those because, like I said, our, uh, we're not only gluten-free, but we're also low-carb, so those don't work well for us. Well, no. They, the, <laughs> rice and potato would not be in tapioca, would not be low-carb at all. But even then, so in my browsing and looking around and checking recipes and seeing the things that the stores have, and... In, even without the key, taking away the gluten-free part, the, I just know that from baking in general, if you walk down your regular baking aisle and you see, you know, they don't really sell, I don't think too many stores sell pastry flour anymore, but you can see various brands offering cake flour and whole wheat flour and white wheat flour and bread flour and all-purpose flour. And if you don't know what those things are for, it's easy to like, oh my God, this is, this is just, it's easy to be overwhelmed. You turn that into, you turn that focus onto the gluten-free side where there is a stunning amount of different choices and either the, the pre-mixed stuff, which can provide you think oh this is great this a bag of flour is a bag of flour well man oh man that's not even close to right uh and that so one of the things i wanted to ask you because you're using nut flours which have next to zero carbs which means they have nothing that's going to caramelize and hold this baked good together I know I know enough to know that xanthan gum functions in some way to give baked goods a body. So, are you using xanthan gum in your um, in your recipes to to give them some structure so they hold up? Some of the recipes, yes, um, but you have to be really careful with xanthan gum because if you put too much, learn the hard way. Um, your stuff becomes jelloey. <laughs> it um, so it's like small amounts of that. I we not only our other challenges is our uh, sugar substitutes that we use because we use um, no real sugar. So we have sugar substitutes that we use and. We have found out that our um, erythritol and xylitol and stevia all do different things. So that kind of helps hold a lot of our our baked goods together. Yeah, I didn't even think about the sugar part. I was so focused on the flour substitutes that the sugar, and I know your keto completely escaped me, and I don't even know how it did that. So, <laughs> so we're back to 
what I know is the frustration for young bakers of any kind, uh, having, and I've mentioned before the listeners, being having been a chef and then a baker, you know, ask a hotline cook to make a biscuit or a muffin and you watch their eyes go over. They, they'd rather jump through fire. It just it seems so hard to them. So now with the different chemical reactions between xanthan gum and you said <laughs> a little, I can, I, I'm here to tell you, folks, it's a gram or two extra, it changes everything. And it's, it's, it's astonishing how little <laughs> addition more can make things be oh so unhappy. So there's there's a lot to learn and study and understand about this and and I'm not and I'm learning by different websites that I'm starting to trust um, and we're going to get to that part of the in, in a minute if you've got some resources but uh, I want to get into first a few tips and tricks that you have to share but before we do that let's take a moment out for a word from my affiliate folks gluten free food and baked goods is challenging. Good gluten-free snacks that aren't full of ingredients you don't want are just as hard to find. Love with Food by Snack Nation is the snack subscription service delivering a monthly selection of delicious, clean ingredient snacks directly to your home. Every month, the Love with Food by Snack Nation team looks for the latest emerging snack brands and trends and delivers a preferred assortment of the tastiest, feel-good options straight to your door. Snacks made with real ingredients and no added chemicals. Snack Nation believes snacks aren't just snacks. They're the between-meal support to living a happier, healthier, and more purposeful life. Plus, with every snack box delivered to you, Love with Food by Snack Nation donates at least one meal to an American family in need through their partnership with Feeding America. Since 2012, Snack Nation has donated over 6 million meals. Click the banner on the show notes page or enter culinarylibertarian.com slash summersnack to learn more about their offer I'm just about to tell you about. With Snack Nation, you earn points with your light snack membership and can earn or purchase yourself into the Elite Super Snacker VIP. And Snack Nation can meet your dietary needs with snacks which are dairy-free, gluten-free, GMO-free, kosher, nut-free, soy-free, vegan, vegetarian, and wheat-free. There's a whole new way to snack for the health of it, and Snack Nation has the answers. From now to August 4th, 2020, Love With Food is discounting 6- and 12-month subscriptions by 20%. Don't put it off. Sign up today and save on your subscription and help feed families in need. Click culinarylibertarian.com slash summersnack to start your snack subscription today. If you aren't satisfied, you can cancel anytime with no fee. Click culinarylibertarian.com slash summersnack to start snacking the right way. Now let's get back to the show. All right, so can you give the gluten-free bakers perhaps especially the ones who are new to gluten-free baking, some tips you've picked up on how to manage these troubles. And that is how to, I guess we're looking to, how do you think, like, we're scientists now because you're, you, have, you have different chemical reactions. So how do you sort of put your mind in the place to figure those things out? So one of the, one of the very first things is, is if you're baking a cake, don't expect your cake to look like a cake that you baked with gluten in it. Like, don't expect it to look like that cake box perfect cake. Because I did that at first, and, you know, you just, all you do is disappoint yourself at that point. It's going to be flatter, um, and don't overbake it. If you do, you're, it's going to be dry. So one of the things that I have found out about baking cakes in particular is you want to keep an eye on it. I mean, I've, I put my cake in there five minutes less than what it calls for and then check it every five minutes to make sure that 
you know, it's, you don't, you don't want to cook it until it springs back. That's not going to happen with the gluten-free cake. Um, so that's another tip that, and I've also learned if you flipping a cake, if you're flipping your cake, make sure that it's cooled in the pan. Because if you flip a gluten-free cake, my experience is if you flip it when it's too hot, then it falls apart. Um, so those are those are a couple of things. I've you mean flipping it out of the pan? Yeah, like flipping it out of the pan. Um, if you if you don't let it cool in that pan, then I've I don't know how many cakes that I've flipped getting in a hurry flipping it out of the pan and it just fall apart. Um, There is no baked good on the planet that responds to a baker in a hurry. Right. I have, I have definitely learned that. Um, Also, if, if you have a recipe, I learned, we learned the hard way doing this for seven years that we thought with going back to the sweeteners Oh, it calls for three different sweeteners. Well, I can just use one. Don't don't do it. We've learned that erythritol um, crystallizes real easy. So um, sometimes, so if it calls for xylitol, use xylitol because xylitol doesn't crystallize. It makes your it makes your baked goods more chewy. Um, then erythritol does. And then we learned that we were having these bread recipes that called for stevia. And if you're listening to this, you, you probably know that a lot of gluten-free recipes calls for a lot of eggs. And we learned that stevia actually cuts the egg taste. For, for bakers using sugar, one of the really fabulous things about sugar is it's hydroscopic. So it's going to absorb the water and help the baked good stay moist, gives it some pliability, some nice texture. Uh, it caramelizes like a dream. So you get these beautiful golden brown um, you know, croissants or sandwich bread, whatever you're making. But now we have these three different, at least three, probably more different sugar replacements that are functioning in very specific ways to get some of that crystallization and caramelization and softness and moisture is like you know now i wouldn't have thought of that because <laughs> we're only gluten-free here i eat lots of meat but uh we're cutting back on sugar but i like my sugar in my baked goods although i do cut back on that even there because i think we still eat too much you mentioned not overbaking the cake. So, how do you know when it's done? What are you looking for? Um, well, what what I'm looking for with mine is, you know, almost like almost like any other cake is, you know, I'm gonna test it and see. I don't want to cook it so long that it cracks at all. Um, it's still, it's almost like that brownie. You need it to be just a little bit jiggly in, in the very middle. Um, so not just like compact, hard. Um, that's the way I check mine. It's not quite gooey, but it's not just super hard. It's like, cause you're going to be leaving it in that pan until it cools so it actually cooks a little bit more in the pan. Well, that was my next question because I know that uh, for regular conventional cakes, if you're not going to, if you're baking a lot of them, you don't have time to use the, you know, uh, grandma's toothpick and all of them. And that's a fine way to do it. There's nothing wrong with using a toothpick, but bakers are using their eyeballs. And when a conventional cake starts to pull away from the edges of the pan, that's the visual clue that in almost every case the cake is done take the take it out of the oven so what happens then is just like bread or anything else there's that carryover cooking now for for cookies and cake layers if they're regular say nine or ten inch rounds five to ten minutes is pretty standard time for one for the thing to 
cool enough that you can touch it, but also to let, uh, so we talked about sugar, for the sugar to go back to its solid state, because there's a lot of weird things happening chemically inside that cake, and you need it, the, the baking process isn't done until everything returns back to its original state, minus the alteration of the heat. Um, you know, breads are half an hour or longer. What would you say and say in nine inch round or so, what, how much time does it need out of the oven to finish that baking process so that it becomes firm but not overbaked? Out of the oven? Yes, ma'am. I, I honestly have never even timed it. I just put it on my cooling rack and just let it sit there until it's completely cold. Okay. And um, like I said, I always, I, I always, my cakes are usually they're they're eight inch rounds and they take about twenty five minutes to cook in the oven. Like I said, you're not looking for any kind of fluffiness. They'll rise a little bit, but they're always they always fall a little bit too after you get them out and put them on the cooling rack. And what are you using for pan release? How are you getting them out of the pan? So I I line my um, pans with parchment paper on the bottom, and then I use an olive oil based cooking spray. Okay. And so, so conceivably, you could use butter, and possibly even if, if for, well, you know what, even butter and almond flour would work in a in a cake like yours. Yeah, so far I haven't had to use any. I don't. I haven't used had to uh, flour any of my pans. It's the Boy, um, the parchment paper and the olive oil spray works really great. Well, the sides, yeah, the sides you can sort of finagle if you had to, but <laughs> finagling the bottom of a cake, well, that's a whole other ballgame. Ain't nothing fun about that. Yeah, I've. I have not tried to bake one without the parchment paper rounds, that's for sure. All right, so you, you've sort of touched on this a little bit, but I'll see if we can flush this out a little bit more. Um, and This is one of my own complaints is that procedures aren't written well for any baking. But when the recipe uh, procedure reads, expect your mixture, easy for me to say, expect your mixture to look this way or that way, and the baker has nothing close to that in the bowl. All right, so we have two choices. Either fix it, which could be a guess, or in the bin. But if we're using almond flour and coconut flour, we've already got some money in the bowl here. So there's a thousand different ways this can go wrong. And it's, it's silly to ask you to diagnose all of them. But for the baker who's mixing this cake and it's like, boy, you know, the recipe reads it's going to look at it this way, and it's not even close. How do you? What what should this baker be thinking about? How to fix the problem? Say it's too wet or it's too dry, too crumbly. What's what are some ideas on how to troubleshoot for at least marginal success? That's a that's a very tricky question. I know, uh, I know. Um, like I said, I've been I've been through a lot of trial and and error and. I've, I, it's just, you kind of eyeball it once, once you see it, it's been so long since I've, um, actually start, you know, first started that I can't even remember. I think I probably threw a lot of it away, but like you said, whenever you have that almond flour and that coconut flour, you have some money in there. Um, but usually if it's, if it's too dry, I always just look at my recipe and if it called for butter then I would add a little bit more butter you always want to check your eggs if it calls for large eggs I've learned the hard way that medium eggs don't work that there's actually a big difference in that when it comes to baking um so that's just a hard question <laughs> No, and it's I, I yes, I agree. It's, it's it's not any easier for conventional baking. Although, so here's I suppose the advantage that a baker has over the not baker 
is there's some things that are kind of remain the same. And uh, some of the baking I've been doing from the gluten-free recipes, they read weird. One for, I think it was dinner rolls, that read that the, the dough will look like cookie dough. Well, what kind of cookie dough? Ladyfinger cookie dough or chocolate sugar cookie dough. So there's, depending on what the the baker's experience is, that's going to inform what does this thing look like. And so I know that that's, I I think the the author probably meant chocolate chip cookie dough or oatmeal raisin or peanut butter, something with that firmness to it. But there's 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 some things that don't change, and eggs. Yeah, large eggs are two ounces a piece, and they're and commercially they're very uniform and they're very predictable in the amount of moisture that they have and the amount of binding the egg yolk is going to do. Butter the same way. Those are ingredients that sh- that are familiar and they share. You know, they do the same thing in gluten free or gluten baking, and when when you for you starting gluten free baking or regular baking. It's, it's easy to get flustered, take a breath, and if it's too dry, find a way to add liquid. Maybe that's another egg white. Now, you're, gonna, you're adding protein, and so that's we're, – we're playing alchemy with our baked goods of any kind, but there's some way to rescue the thing. Uh, I wanted to ask you, when you are – you mentioned the cakes not looking like you would get from a bakery. And I've seen the pictures Jimmy posted of the ones you recently produced. <laughs> Fantastic. I'm like, God, these are amazing. So they look good. And, and I realized that was a hard-fought battle. Do you, do you keep track of the notes that you make? So if you, if you have recipe A, you're doing it all, think, wow, this didn't even come close to being right. Do you make notes for what to adjust so the next time you're getting closer to success, yeah, closer to success. So finally, you've sort of invented your own recipe by making those modifications along the way. Do you keep notes? Oh yes, most definitely. And with our with our cakes and cookies and stuff like that, donuts that we make, it's all the main thing that we change is sweetener. Because, like I said, we don't use regular sugar, so. We find out real fast that, hey, if we want our cookie chewier, then we're going to half, we're, instead of using all erythritol, like most of the recipes call for, because that's what you can find um, in the stores, that we'll half, half erythritol and half xylitol. Because like I said, xylitol gives you more of the chewy effect. So we... We also found that 90% of the recipes do not add enough sweetener into their into their recipe. And so you get this kind of bland cake that doesn't really taste sweet. And so we, we have tons of notes in our recipe books. Are you starting with gluten-free recipes and making modifications or are you changing gluten recipes into gluten-free recipes? I've did a little bit of both. Um, I have a wedding cookie that I make, and I took a regular wedding cookie recipe, and I changed that into um, a keto and gluten-free um, recipe. So it, it took me five tries to get the almond flour and the coconut flour and the xanthan gum ratio correct. But once I got it down, now that's one of our most popular items, and I actually bake 50 dozen every two weeks. I love those things. So you've mentioned a couple of times um, you're baking for, I, I know the answer to this, but tell, tell the listeners what it is you're baking for, why you're doing all this baking. So we have a um, shop at our local farmer's market, and I my backstory on that was um, a couple of friends asked me to make a couple of things, and it went from doing it two years on the side from me 
quitting a job that I had for 10 years and now doing it full time. So we actually bake for our community and we have a shop out at the farmer's market. And I just, you've mentioned the, the donuts and I've seen the donuts and I just wanted to say, just so the listeners get this, the quality of the product that I see in the pictures is stunning. <laughs> it's like, I know you work hard at this. I think you have bagels too. Uh, yes, that's actually Jimmy's product. He makes the bagels because I don't want to take that time to make bagels. But he he really has um, took a recipe that was not a bagel recipe and made it into what it is now. And it's actually one of our most popular items. And he uses kind of like a fathead pizza dough recipe. And he, and he and he just whispered to me, and a yeast dough. Hmm. Hi, Jimmy. Hey, Dan. The uh, yeah, the the pictures are very impressive, and we'll put a link on the show notes page, which will be culinarylibertarian dot com slash ninety six, and I have to double check to see if that's right, uh, so they can find your for, find your page. Uh, the yeah, I'm just I'm very impressed with your baked goods. Uh, let's take a moment out for a word from the folks at Tasting Anarchy. Hey everyone, Jake here, host of the Tasting Anarchy podcast. Join my co-host Mason and I each week as we explore the world of wine and alcohol through a liberty lens. You can find us on all your major podcatchers, tastinganarchy.com or Tasting Anarchy on Twitter. Tasting Anarchy, your wine and liberty podcast. Find out how much government is in your drink. All right, so I was mentioning that the pictures of the cakes that you recently found great success with, one of the things that was really the selling point to me was they were iced and they were iced well and they had a nice thick layer of icing. Since you're doing keto, obviously this is not your standard buttercream with loads of sugar. What kind of, what icing are you making? How do you make a, how do you make a keto icing? So, what we do is we powder our own erythritol. You can buy it powdered, but it's very pricey. So um, we we actually powder ours, and I actually powder it a couple of times in a in a blender. And you can also powder your uh, sweetener yourself. You can do it in a coffee grinder or the magic bullet type um, blenders, but so that's what we do with ours is we so we powder it and then it's just a lots of butter, heavy cream, and cream cheese, and it makes makes a really nice a really nice icing, and you can and then you can flavor it however you like that's just the base of it though but it looks fantastic so i i agree with the statement that the almond flour and or coconut flour cake isn't going to meet the expectation of a cake flour cake because there's just what's going in isn't the same but visually those pictures absolutely met the expectation of wow that's a slice of cake i want it and <laughs> so meeting meeting the oh my god i have to have that thing now you guys got 100 percent on that well one of the one of the secrets on the um chocolate cake because you know chocolate cakes even traditional chocolate cakes are for some reason they're a little drier than a than a white cake or yellow cake and so one of the best recipes that I have found is a mayonnaise um, recipe where you actually use mayonnaise in your cake. And that has made the moist, moistest chocolate cake. Well, that's actually, if you go back a long time ago, that was the original devil's food cake had mayonnaise in it, which makes perfect sense because it's eggs and oil. Right. Um, there's, an, you know... 
I have a it's for a base it's good a, a almond meal chocolate layer, which is pretty dense. It was intended to be dense. It's Italian. It doesn't mean it's dense because it's Italian, but it's but the flavor is good. I have a very glutinous. Uh, it's called chocolate tea cake, and I was just occurred to me because you were mentioning how chocolate cakes tend to be on the dry side. The chocolate tea cake is is the best chocolate cake hands down ever in any shape. Bunt, round, square, cupcakes, it doesn't matter. But it hasn't been turned into gluten-free. And that sounds like a goal. But I, I don't know if I can do I can't do keto because I don't know anything about those sugar substitutes. I've never used them. I don't even own one. But that would be, that would be a fun project because the moistness of that cake is top-notch. It's great texture. <laughs> this, this is the thing we have to work on, Tammy. We have to figure this out. I will tell you um, that you like whenever I was um, transforming recipes from traditional to to a keto or gluten free recipe, you really have to um, remember that coconut flour is a very dry. It makes things very dry. It's going to absorb more moisture. So it's also you use a lot less of it. So, and, and like my cookie recipe, I'm going to use two cups of almond flour, but I'm only going to use one fourth cup of coconut flour in that recipe. Just because it, if you use, if you was to vice versa that, then you would end up with just something that's going to crumble. Well, now that is a useful tip because then that's something that I don't, Almond flour I've used because it shows up a lot in uh, in a lot of different pastries and cookies. Coconut flour I have some, but it's just never really shows up in conventional kinds of baked goods, and that's really where my my expertise lies. So I'm learning other stuff. So learning is good. Learning is a good thing. All right, I want to shift here to just a short little. A quick answer, kind of part of the show, and you might remember this from Jimmy's episode. Uh, of the five flavors, sweet, salty, bitter, sour, and umami, which one do you enjoy the most? Um, I've always been a sweet eater. Yeah, me too. What's your favorite food? My favorite food is cookies. I have chocolate chip cookies have always been my favorite. What's your least favorite food? Fish. I do not like fish at all. And that's really hard with Jimmy. He loves fish and that's really healthy for you, but I just do not like it. What gets you excited? The beach. It's not food related, but I love to go to the beach. No, it's okay. <laughs> what turns you off? Anything exercise. That's another thing that Jimmy loves to do and I am not about exercise life what sound do you love the sound of the ocean i think i i could i could actually be a beach bomb maybe retirement what sound do you hate barking dogs <laughs> and the lawnmower i used to work nights and trying to sleep during the day i would tell jimmy i'm gonna get up at I'm, I'm going to get up at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I'm going to mow the yard for all these people that mow during the day when I'm trying to sleep. He was like, you're going to have the police called on you because you can't make that kind of noise after 10 p.m. What is your favorite food indulgence? And you can include cheat meals here. I love Mexican food, and when we take a cheat meal, that's where we go. We eat Mexican food and chips and salsa. I can eat my weight in chips and salsa. My wife, and actually, frankly, if it's a good salsa, and, well, it's a high bar for me for a good salsa, but you get good chips and a good salsa, and I'm right there with you. It's, man, that's good. The restaurant that we love to go to, they serve honey and butter with their tortillas, and I like to put honey and butter on my uh, chips really good whole butter or melted butter it's like this i don't know what kind, it's their liquid butter i 
I'm sure it's some kind of vegetable oil based something, but it's good for a good cheat. I've never heard of this. This is the honey and butter on tortilla chips. Yes. Amazing. And a little bit extra salt, maybe? Wow. Yeah, they they okay. serve they serve it with the with warm tortillas, but I just like it on my warm chips. They bring the chips out warm and and Jimmy looks at me like I'm crazy, but it's really good. And is it honey and butter mixed together or two separate ramekins? They it's two separate it's two separate ones, but I just I pour it in a little plate and I just kinda dip my chip in it kinda like all together. Huh. All right. Well we're gonna have to get I have to figure this out. This sounds interesting. All right. Uh tell us well one before I get to that part, um are there any book recommendations you have or you would suggest for people who are interested in getting into and understanding some of, well, frankly, it's science. I mean, it's not hard science. It could be, I suppose, but to help them navigate their way into gluten-free baking and keto baking. Yes. Um, my favorite is uh, All Day I Dream About Food. She has a she has a website. She has uh, books, and she actually um, that's where I learned how a lot of our sweeteners work. Because uh, she actually has a um, baking book that she just came out with this last year. That kind of like it gives you a narrative at the beginning, and it tells you what each flower does. It tells you. Um, what the different sweeteners do, and she's keto, but she's also gluten free. Um, I don't. She doesn't have any recipes in her books that has gluten in it. So she has three or four different recipe books, and she. I I really enjoy using her using her books. Like I said, I modify. I usually add more sweetener or or modify a little bit, but for the most part, her recipes turn out great. That's fantastic because my big complaint of cookbooks of any stripe is that usually they don't. So that's that's a great endorsement. Uh, give us the name of the store and the website of the Facebook page for the store. Okay, so our store name is Keto Couples Kitchen, and we don't have a website, but we do have a Facebook page. And it's the same. It's uh, okay. Keto Couples Kitchen. All right. Well, I will put the link to the Facebook page so people can see the fabulousness on the show notes page. And I appreciate your time this, well, now evening-ish for you in there in hot Texas. There's um, one more um, website that I also use that's really good if you want to hear it. Yes. It's called Low Carb Inspiration. Cool. And I don't well, know. Thank you. I don't know if you know all about the chaffle craze that was going on, um, where everybody was making chaffles, which is cheese waffles. I don't think I saw that, but I I tend to sort of be fairly myopic with what I pay attention to. Yeah, and so, but they have. So if you're if you're gluten free, they have a lot of really good actual waffle recipes on that page well that would be useful to me because i'm looking for um i'm looking for more gluten-free recipes and you know there so the i just found out that it's possible so there's there's like the home bakers which i mean i don't believe me the home bakers are fine they do a lot of hard work but then there's the bakery level and there's just and they're not supposed to be the same there is a guy and i haven't seen the book yet who has come up with gluten-free pastry like croissants <laughs> this is amazing stuff and this is hard work so for people interested in doing that i know that that stuff's out there i'm looking to find ways to replace the things that my wife can't eat. And that's right now what we really miss is bread. And I used to make bread all the time, but now I have to, I haven't. 
Um, I make some things. I've made um, gluten-free biscuits for sausage and biscuits for breakfast the other day, and that was pretty good. <laughs> I was kind of proud of myself. But finding finding recipes online, you know, you can find a thousand gluten-free recipes, but boy, I'll tell you what, most of them are they're too frustrating as the reader. The procedures are terrible. And that's where I think really the young bakers, of, young cooks, anybody in the kitchen, young and experienced, whatever you're doing, if the details of what to do with those ingredients is poor detail, well, then you're not going to succeed. That doesn't matter what you make. You'd be paint by numbers. If there's no numbers on the paint, on the board, well, duh, you're not going to succeed. So... Success is important to me. I want people to do the things that they want to do, but I want them to do them well so they get expired, inspired, not expired, to do them again. And that's so low carb inspiration sounds like the perfect website. And I have never even seen it, but I'm excited about it already. Right. And they they do have a they have a lot of um a lot of recipes on there and, and like I said, that all day I dream about food does too. And what I like about those is they also have videos. Perfect. Great and, stuff. And, and I love I love to watch videos more than I do just because, like you said, there's so many times that you're going to make something and you're going to go, it doesn't look like that in the book. And and you watch the video and you go, oh, so that's what they did. Right. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely right. Well, it's been a pleasure this afternoon. Thank you again so much for your time. I appreciate it. And have uh, have a great rest of the week, which is all of one day. You got fishing plans for Saturday? No, we actually work our shop on Saturdays. But we are going out on the boat that afternoon. So we're supposed to go tubing. So Woohoo! Yeah, this will be our first time to put our inner tube in the in the water. So we're kind of excited about that. You have uh, written permission from the governor to do that. Yes, we are. Uh, Texas is actually allowed. <laughs> to do that, yes, <laughs> I'm picking on Abbott, and he deserves it. So, yeah, yeah, we uh, we actually have permission, and so uh, to do that here in Texas, and and I'm glad, even though um, you know, he did kind of shut some of our stuff down, but but we're okay with that too. All right. All right. Well, carry on. Have a great afternoon, and I will speak to you again soon. All right. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, folks. That's going to do it. I'll have the websites Tammy mentioned on the show notes page, culinarylibertarian.com slash 96. And Jimmy Clegg is Tammy's husband. We mentioned that. Jimmy was on twice, the first time to discuss keto. It's a long episode, but it's a very good episode. I'll put both links for his shows on the show notes page also. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher and share the show posts on social media. Have a good week and I'll see you soon. Music for the Culinary Libertarian podcast is provided by Matthew Bankert at mattbankert.com.